Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Here's Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotturo, the Yay. chef in the hat. Coming to you from the uh, beautiful Hotel Andre. Our producer Pamela is here. Sean, Mr. Technician, is here. And Chef Annie Elmore is in the background making all sorts of noise in the kitchen. And boy, does it smell good. Cookies, cookies, it's cookies. Just, just cooking away. Just cooking rice over there. I'm uh, owner of a few joints here around town, including Seatown Restaurant in the North End area of the Pike Place Market. Uh, serious takeout in Ballard and downtown, and soon to be in Totem Lake, the end of spring. Uh, and then also, uh, of course, right down below us here at the Hot Stove Society is the restaurant Lola and the Carlisle Room up by the Paramount Theater. So we have lots going on. Dahlia Bakery's across the street. This is my hood. And and tons of cooking demonstration here at this yeah. school. So that's really awesome. And we're in the beautiful Hotel Andra. Come and stay in play sometimes. Do a nice little staycation down here. Yeah. Pamela, do we get a discount on the rooms here from uh, like the Hot Stove Society discount? Absolutely. There's so. a link on every uh, class listing and the radio show listing. It varies a little bit based uh-huh. on seasonality and occupancy. But it usually starts at about 20% off the rack rate. Nice. See? So it's even... Just use our names. That buys your dinner for at Lola. Yeah, <laughs> good point. I hope so. Uh, just use our names, right? Just say uh, Chef Tom sent me. <laughs> and do it, do it with kind of a smug... And if they say, smugness. who's Chef Tom? Say, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Chef Tom sent me. Something like that, right? Say it conventionally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if you want a bigger discount, say, uh, Chef Terry sent me. <laughs> That's the one where you get out of town. Today, we have a, a large show for you today, including peak of the season artichokes. Looking forward to that. The Persian New Year menu. And uh, we're going to riff on Annie's savory puff pastry carrot tart. See if you guys can improve on hers. Why would we want to? Why would it's we delicious. want to if it's She's delicious? She's here to talk about it. And believe me, she will think that we cannot. <laughs> uh, lastly, we quiz our host. Uh, Pamela, has, uh, in her infinite wisdom, has decided to eliminate... Food for thought, tasty trivia today, and I don't Ooh. don't don't turn off your radio right now. She's not going to. That's still two hours away, but uh, we're going to have a different little game to play at the end of the show. Brought to you by Rub with Love's Spice Rubs. Once again, we had a very successful Ukrainian refugee benefit yes. here. At Congratulations, the by the you. way. Uh, thanks to our listeners who came, and thanks to uh, other friends of the hot stove who came, and thanks to all the Ukrainian neighbors that we have here in Seattle. Uh, some brought food, some brought music. Uh, we even had a sing-along with an interpreter, a Ukrainian interpreter, who was uh, evacuated to Warsaw, Poland. We had a live feed wow. from Warsaw, Poland, with a Ukrainian uh, woman who actually did a little sing-along with us uh, in Ukrainian right here in the hot stove. So it was quite a, uh, a night. I, you know, it's so hard for me because I just want to be joyful about what we accomplished. Right. But I am so... F- Sad about what's going on over there. Well, it's too bad we have to do this for oh, the reason. Then it's you it's know, horrific. What's going on? I so. can't take my eyes off of uh, CNN. But you know what? Let's keep supporting these people because they're don't fight- forget about it. They're fighting a serious fight. They're yeah. fighting a life fight. Yeah, and um, their resistance is showing why we need to you know do away from those dictators and from yeah. Stay these, strong. Don't know, stay uh, strong. don't turn the channel and just try and live off in your own little place. We all have to stay aware of what's going on. Uh, my taste of the week came from that benefit, the Ukrainian benefit. Uh, and Pamela, I don't know if you know the name of these cookies or not, but Irina, the baker, we call her Irina Honeycake because she brought a beautiful honey cake. But she also brought these little walnut cookies. 
uh, ethereal. They were unbelievable. Unbelievable. The texture. So it was like a little bit of a twill. Not a twill. That's the wrong word. But it's a crispy little cakey. Like a gofret texture. Yeah. Ah, Like a weight. Like a wafer? Yeah, like maybe like a little bit of a madeleine dough. And then on the inside was almost like a truffle, like a walnut truffle, but no chocolate. It was just caramel. Caramel, ground walnuts, butter is my guess. Sean's going to tell Sean us. Sean knows. Because she was nice enough, there was one left, and they let me have it. And I took it home, and I kind of forgot it was in my backpack, and I tasted one, and I immediately ate the whole box. Like, yeah. <laughs> wasn't it unbelievable? It just was a surprise. Beautiful thing, too. Okay. Yeah. So, uh... Let's get the recipe. Are they, in the, are they in the Ukrainian cookbook? Do you know? No. Let's no. get the recipe. I, I couldn't find them anywhere online. <laughs> I'll ask if she'll share the recipe yeah, for sure. That would be, that but would here's be. the thing. It's hard. It's, she said it took her all day to make the cookies that she made. They're it's so hard. delicate and Let's stuff. do a challenge up to all listeners and okay, see. Okay, we'll, we'll get the recipe and get it out yeah, there. Yeah, let's see. Let's see if we can get that going. Well, all of be. us just looked at each other and we're just like, oh, my God, that is so good. That's awesome. And normally, I would say, you know, normally things like that are good and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But, uh, but she's a pro. I didn't realize she was a professional. Yes. Uh, she went to culinary school and she works at Tutumella. Oh, so she's a pro. You know what she does now? She makes those beautiful gnocchi that Lisa Nokomura used to have under oh, her yeah, label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she sold uh, to Tutabella. But Irina is the one that is making the gnocchi now. Oh, I see. Which is why they're so perfect. And she is completely passionate for gnocchi. She, uh-huh. She'll go on and on about how to eat it with bacon. Oh, that is so awesome. <laughs> okay, Chef, what's your taste of the week? Try and top that one. I, w- I went for the first time to a place called Musang. Uh, how Philippe, do you spell it? M-U-S-A-N-G. Okay. And it's on Beacon Hill. And it's a nice I'm little... sure it's Beacon Hill. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> I had to... Uh, I was kind of wondering if it was true earlier, but that is Beacon Hill. Um, beautiful little... Uh, almost like a house converted into a restaurant and um, it was a very nice patio. I was sitting on the patio and uh, the food is Filipino. I mean, they're Filipino and they're trying to uh, bring the, uh, the, you know, their culture into the, into the food they're doing. But more importantly, I think they're also doing something that I always love when people do that. Like I had to do that, I feel, is to try to find a, a little bridge to bring the food up to the people so they can actually eat it, enjoy it, and really, really appreciate it for what it is. And understand it culturally, too? Right. Yeah. Understand the culture as well. And, and I think that's really cool. There. Melissa is the uh, chef owner, and she, I think, I think, super smartly done Filipino food. And I had like a whole pompano on the bones. That was scrumptious. Mm-hmm. Super delicious. Uh, the drink, the cocktail. Kathy had a cocktail that was... Very intriguing to me and almost like I was poo-pooing it in my head thinking that's going to be way too sweet for me. I don't, wanna, I don't want that. It was nothing like you that. You said it was coconut and bourbon? Yeah, and it was really, really well-balanced and deli- surprisingly delicious uh-huh. for me. Um, obviously, I know they've tried it before. I'm sure they tried it before they gave it away. And it would be good, but um, definitely something I didn't think I was going to necessarily like and it was delicious. The whole meal was super, super delicious, well-executed and Tasty and uh, nice assemblage of Filipino food and introduction to Filipino food as well. Uh-huh. So it was really, I, I would definitely recommend people to go try it because it was definitely delicious. So Musang, M U S A N G, on, on uh, Beacon Hill. Yeah, absolutely. Check it out. I will Worth check a trip it out. for sure. All right.
You know, it's uh, oddly enough, peak of the season harvest time, this kind of cool, misty weather in the Central Valley down there in California where artichokes grow. So uh, we're going to talk about those on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. (laughs) We're back. It's the Hot Stove downtown seattle 4th of virginia right yeah, in the yeah, yeah. hotel andra above lola we have uh, our producer clapping for us and john you had a oh. laugh track can you like put the laugh track on so we feel like we have an audience today that was funny that I was told really Taping our taping day. my name is tom douglas and i'm terry rotiro the chef in the hat and our producer here is pamela hinkley Artichokes, it seems like a bit of an odd time, but uh, it is time for the uh, artichokes. And, you know, Pamela, over at our farm in Prosser, we haven't even planted our artichokes right. yet. So how is it that in California <laughs> they have ones that are they're, they're picking already? Because there are two varieties grown, perennials and annuals. So it's the perennials that are now ready to be harvested because at, after the harvest they just cut them back and then they push in uh-huh. the spring and and that's what we're getting the globes know, out of the perennials and uh the annuals will be a summer harvest mm-hmm. interesting i did not know you could keep uh artichoke in the ground i guess maybe in california they can't i don't think you could here could you i think when wait i have seen them come back in mild oh, winter yeah. we have yeah. uh, certainly have had cardoons winter over and absolutely yeah, right right that are that's often, true. Up That's and going true. at this point. But we have not even started the seed yet at the farm for her planted seed right, yet at right. the farm for artichokes. So. Okay, Jeff, great- uh, tell, us, tell us what you would do. I, you know, my favorite place to see artichokes is on the train, either in southern France or in Italy, where you drive by those monstrous fields yeah. of kind of purplish green artichokes. There is two Carciofi different- in, in there, Italy. Yeah, there is two different fields you see that are super beautiful. Uh, actually, three. There's lavender in the south of France, mm-hmm. which you, sometimes you see fields of it, and it's really impressive and beautiful. And fragrant. <laughs> yeah, very fragrant. Uh, artichoke, and then tournesol, which is um, a sun, sunflower. Sunflower, yeah. I mean, those fields of sunflowers are so beautiful, too. So Up in Scotland, you see fields of uh, rapes, uh, rapeseed, which is what they make uh, canola oil out oh, of. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's and, true. of course, up in Canada, right. I want to say lots and lots and lots, or most of the mustard right. grown in the world is up there in but, yeah. you know, vish, uh, me, for me, artichoke reminds me of spring only because I'm thinking of the mixture of uh, artichoke, peas, maybe a, little, maybe a little pork belly or bacon. Uh-huh. You know, Pretty soon like, asparagus. Just asparagus little, yeah. and, and then morels. You and know, it's uh, like, first of the season, uh, <clears throat> Walla Walla sweets. Yeah. All those different components are definitely spring in Seattle. You mm-hmm. know, and, and nettle, you can make a nice little puree of nettle and make like <laughs> almost like a pesto. <laughs> No, I know you. Why do such good chefs like nettles? It's just, we, not, it's, we don't it's do really nettles. a flaw in your no. character. No, it's a grassy. It's a flaw. <laughs> it's a theory. grassy. I, I hate you can to break make a nice little pesto with it. Yeah. yeah. You can use basil, yeah, too. It's very inexpensive. You can use lemon. basil, too. It's very inexpensive if yeah. you're wearing gloves. If you're not, They're you're going to have... Okay, let's go back to artichokes. Yes. <laughs> so, in my mind, uh, this time of year, I love to get the baby artichokes, right? The first flush. Sure. They pick them when they're small. They haven't developed a choke yet. Correct. And I like to take the smallest ones. And you you have to take off maybe the outer leaves, but don't right. cut off the stem. No. Uh, and uh, maybe take off the tip a little bit, maybe a quarter inch or half inch of right. the top. 
and then you just literally quarter them or eighth them, depending on the size. But got to make sure they haven't developed a choke yet. Right. Uh, you'll see the little grassy bits, the choke in there, but it's still soft and, right. and supple. And then I just uh, I dredge those in you know acidulated water. I just you know do that, and then I just dredge them in semolina and deep fry. And I mm, love fried artichoke. Just a beautiful, simple aioli, which is garlic mayonnaise. <laughs> Right? Nice dipping sauce. Boom, yeah. done. And I just think that is one of my favorite vegetable appetizers. Yeah. No, I think it's a very, well, it's extremely, um, texturally, it's extremely satisfying. Mm-hmm. When you eat an artichoke, a small, especially baby artichoke, you eat the whole thing. So texturally, it's very satisfying. It's got a little bit of crunch, a little bit of soft. It's got a bit of everything in it. So, mm-hmm. And the flavor is really good. It's a, uh, it's a vegetable that keeps its flavor. Well, especially, I mean, you say that, and there's a reason why it's more flavorful, say, than sometimes when you get a big artichoke, because right. a big artichoke you tend to uh, put into a pot of water and you steam away a lot of the flavor, Correct. right? Correct. And then when you chill it, you rinse it in cold water. You right. rinse away a lot of the flavor. And mm-hmm. when you can use these things without doing all that process, they actually taste more intensely True. of artichoke. Yeah, and it's one baby vegetable that actually and seems more intensifying flavor right. whereas some, like a baby carrot doesn't always have the same intensity as a correct. full-grown carrot yeah. yeah it seems to be actually the opposite from a from a bigger carrot you know it seems to have less flavor on the carrot uh-huh. when it's a baby a more tender flavor but yeah baby artichokes are fabulous i mean it's such a great appetizer on the table you confit them slowly cook them in olive oil with a bunch of olives mm-hmm. you know and do that as an appetizer just like whole little, herbs and whole cloves of garlic garlic yeah. Uh, rosemary, which is in your garden right now, um, baby artichoke cut in half in olive oil, lots of olives, put the whole thing together in the oven very slowly, like 300, 325 for probably an hour, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And then it's totally tender and you take that out of the olive oil and you make a nice little uh, antipasto kind of idea. But you, you know? can use the olives too. Oh, you use, yeah, you use everything, yeah. the olives the, and the artichoke, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then the olive oil, you can mix it with a little bit of lemon uh, juice, you know, make a nice little dressing with a little mustard, put the whole thing over that, and you get some beautiful little appetizer shredded. You uh, zest some uh, citrus right on top of that and serve crustini next to that. And You know, when I first moved to Seattle in 77, like that 77 to 85 area, uh-huh. artichokes were on every menu. Oh, yeah. And they were... Typically steamed first, and then, you know, obviously prepped. You take the stickers off. At that right. time, they didn't have the hybrids without the stickers. Right. So you could scissor off the stickers. You take off the top. Uh, you steam them, and then you force them open, and you stuff it with either breadcrumbs or something, and then you bake them. Right. And that was a very popular. Or you serve it cold. You'd scoop out the, the choke. you put shrimp salad in or right. something of right. that nature. And... Uh, it was it was on every menu in yeah. town, and I, coming from the East Coast, I, we didn't have that artichoke culture, right? right. This just came up from Castroville, where I used artichokes to do, are king. I used to do a, um, an artichoke bottom, stuffed with. Um, I would take a squab, and um, take the breast. I remember I had that dish. Take the breast, and then uh, all the all the innards of the squab. I would make a farce, mm-hmm. put that in the bottom of the of this of the artichoke, put the breast on top, wrap it up in crepinette. And then braise with a little bit of stock and wine in the oven gently till the breast was medium rare and pull the whole thing off and then cut it in half. Mm-hmm. So with a nice little Julian truffle kind of jus 
Pretty good, huh? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, when I was a young chef at the Hotel DuPont in Wilmington, Delaware, artichokes came in cans. You bought the, got the hearts oh, or yeah. you got the bottoms. Right, right. And it, even the fanciest hotels all had used canned artichokes at that time. Yeah, I guess because they don't grow them right on the east No, coast. they don't grow them there, and it's so simple. Yeah. I mean, I think that the time you put into prepping an artichoke plus the waste. The waste. You know, a single artichoke can weigh more than a half pound to, you know, 10 ounces, and uh, you only end up with a couple of ounces worth of meat at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it is a very... It can be a very pricey. When, when I was vegetable. a child, we used to grow. We used to grow them. My mom would just steam them, put them on the table whole, right? And you ate the leaves with a vinaigrette mm-hmm. or mayonnaise, you know, like an aioli idea. And then that's what you ate for dinner. And then the heart, you just put more more uh, dressing in it. Yeah. Cut it in small pieces, season it, and then eat the heart. Just that like was that. always the best part. It's like oh, yeah. getting all the legs from you the crab. Wait, you couldn't wait to get to the bottom of the artichoke. And you, scraping the meat off the leaves the, yeah. with your, the bottom of your, your, your bottom teeth. Oh, yeah. Like, whoosh, yeah. Awesome. So delicious, as Chef Thierry would say. Go to Castroville and have a feast. <laughs> I know. We're going to talk with Kian Pornor about uh, the kind of foods that you might find at an Persian New Year's party, which is, uh, just happened this last week, right? It's a 13-day celebration. 13-day celebration. When we come back on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas. And I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And chef, uh, all throughout this first couple of months of uh, our year... Uh, different countries celebrate their new year. Correct. According to ancient calendars and the stars and the moons and you name it. Uh, it's, it's interesting how everyone uses the uh, the earth in general to for their own timepiece. Sure. Um, we were with, uh, Pam and I were with uh, a gentleman named Kian Pornor on Saturday night uh, doing a benefit with Fair Start. Uh, and we were talking about, Pam, you got talking to Kian about uh, the Persian New Year. Right, because he was ready to make a feast for his friends, and uh, we need to know more and hear about the food. So Kian is on the line with us. Hi, Kian. Hi, Kian. Hi, how are you? Super awesome. Tell us what you told Pam. What What are you making for <laughs> Persian New Year? And tell oh us my why God. is it special are, to you? There are so many things that you make. First of all, Noruz, or what is called New Day, is the spring equinox, uh, and Persians usually celebrate it. Uh, as their first day of spring and first day of the new year. And it's not only Iran, it's in uh, from Mongolia uh, all the way to Balkan. They actually celebrate it uh, as their new year, their makes, official new year. Yeah, it makes so much sense with all the brightness of spring and the, the new growth and everything. That does make sense to me instead of the, yeah, it makes the middle sense. of the icy winter. Yeah, it makes for a bright start. It, yeah. Exactly, and that's one of the reasons whenever you're cooking anything, it has to uh, deal with vegetables, not the frozen tundra anymore, right. but fresh vegetables that you're getting out of ground, from fenugreek to uh, dill to uh, anything that is green, you mix it with Persian rice, and the way that you cook it is a little bit different from uh, other rices because you, um, you definitely drain the rice a lot more and wrap the lid in a towel so it actually brings the moisture back inside of the rice to elongate it. Huh. So wow. the more elongated the rice will get, the better of a cook you are, apparently. And also, <laughs> don't forget about the bottom of the pan. Uh, the that, best part. Uh, it's car- 
the best part of it is that I call it the Iranian the Persian chip, <laughs> a potato chip, because it's um, caramelized rice basically at the bottom, and it slow cooks for two hours, and it's delicious. Most of the saffron that you're using inside of the rice, most of the butter that you're using inside of the rice, goes all the way to the bottom. It caramelizes it to perfection, and it's very, very delicious. Also, we cook any kind of a fish we can get our hands on. Salmon is, is one. Usually salty fish also is another kind. That Any kind of a salty fish that we get, it's good also. But again, it's about renewal. It's about uh, reflection. It's about um, eating with family. And one of the things that we do for 13 days from the beginning of the new year, everything uh, in Iran is basically closed and nothing is open. Uh, and a lot of people go to each other's houses uh, in order to make a visit. Usually the younger people go to elderly houses and the uh, elderly come and visit the younger house. Or they will make a big feast and invite about 50 or 60 people of close relatives and friends uh, together to come and eat. And those are one of the parties that you always want to be involved with. <laughs> yeah, invite there, me. <laughs> I mean, you just eat for hours and then you relax and eat a little bit more. And they're constantly feeding you. Um, you you feel very well taken care of. So if you're going to go visit Iran, this would be the time of the year to go. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this would be the best time of the year to go, the first 13 days. And on the 13th day, you actually go outside and you give thanks to nature. So you will have a picnic with your family outside um, on, in the park, uh, outside of the city, and that's the appreciation of nature as well. And uh, the welcoming of the spring. That sounds that sounds beautiful. Really, it really does sound good. Okay, so I love Persian rice. What else are we going to serve with this feast? Well, uh, oh my God, um, let's, let's start uh, beef this salad is another one. Beef salad is very good. Oh, that's, that's Tom's favorite. That is remain. Do you guys like it? It's perfect. It's Terry great. and I like it. Tom, we haven't won him over to. But beef I've never yet. had a Persian beef salad. <laughs> oh, you got to do it Persian style. Yeah. You will that like would... anything that you do. So what? Ma- what makes it? What makes it Persian style? Tell us. A little bit different is the sauce that we are using inside of it is usually vinegar and sirke. So that is like a very, very light white vinegar that we use. We roast the pistachios also, uh, and tarragon and, uh, and beets, and it's delicious. It's really, really good, and maybe a little bit of an olive oil. I really like beet salad. At least uh, yeah, maybe it's an acquired taste, uh, and, you know, maybe maybe Tom will get used to it one day. But, <laughs> you know, at least for Persians, it's, it's something really good. Uh, also... Um, uh, different kind of uh, things like mustachia is also very, very common in Iran to make as a side dish that you add to fish as well. So it's a yogurt that is drained, very, very thick yogurt, uh, cubes of um, uh, of cucumber. So you, you cut it very, very small and very cute and mint and salt. That's basically what you use and you garnish it with um, rose petals, dried rose petals. Mm. And that one also is a really, really good side dish that you have that you add to fish, that you add to rice, and you eat with caddy. So you add it That's as Rene a... That's Erickson's favorite. You add what it as it? a, uh, like a, as a sauce rather than as an actual side dish? Uh, you can add it as a sauce. People use it as a side dish. They use it in many different ways. Mm. So 
it's almost like tzatziki, but it's a little bit of a different taste. It's it's much thicker than a tzatziki, and right. it doesn't have any garlic inside of it. Oh, interesting. And it, All right, so we have fish, yeah. and, and what did you call that again? Sabzi polo. Sabzi <laughs> polo was the rice, fish was the mahi, uh, and mustachiar uh, was the cucumber, mint, and yogurt. I see, okay. And also beef salad. Right. Now, do you uh, do any meat during this time, or is it a meatless event? You know, we don't do a lot of meat at this time. Fish is usually what we do because it's very light. Coming out of com- coming out of winter, that we usually do a lot more protein because there is no sun and uh, anything else. At this time, I think that uh, we want lighter food. So lighter food definitely wins the day. So fish, rice, yogurt, beef. Very, very simple things that we bring to the table is really, really good. And that's what they do. I actually did a, a benefit for um, Viet for Afghan refugees on Monday night for 12 people. Uh, and um, and I cooked exactly the same things that were, uh, I'm telling you. And it was very, very good. I also included an Israeli cucumber salad. It wasn't Persian, but you know what? It's from the same place. Right. <laughs> and, and of course, I'm sure there is some sweets that follows all this. My God, of course it is. <laughs> it's Persian griddle or Sohan. Um, uh, you get uh, a wheat flour, uh, zaffron, uh, um, uh, and a bunch of other things that you add almonds, pistachios, uh, and you basically cook it really, really hard. Uh, and hot, and you make it cool down, and it makes it very brittle. This thing is so addictive and so sweet that when you take a bite of it, you want to eat the whole thing. <laughs> so kids love it. It's perfect, you know, and a lot of other things that we eat is made um, uh, with a lot of different ingredients of flour and everything else. So it's delicious. The sweets are very light. They are very, very uh, airy. And they are not, uh, they are not very heavy sweets. Any citrus? No, nothing citrusy really. I mean, there is nothing there. It's usually sweet mostly uh, than anything else. So one thing that got by me, but uh, I don't know if this is true or not. I mean, you're sur- not surrounded, but you have the Caspian Sea on one side of you and you have the Persian Gulf on the other side. Uh, the Caspian Sea, isn't that where you get a lot of sturgeon caviar? Have you, do you mm-hmm. put caviar in this mix? Yes. Yes, that's the place that you get caviar, Persian caviar especially. Um, yes, there's a lot of inlets that goes into Mazandaran. Uh, that is uh, one of the provinces very close to Caspian Sea. And that's the place that you usually get the uh, caviar, and it's delicious. Uh, Beluga caviar, um, you know, and Persian caviar, you know, those are really, really good. And we are still exporting it, which is perfect. Uh, and I, as a kid, I used to eat that as a kid uh, in the morning. My mom used to put it Good on a breakfast. cracker, butter, and caviar. You know, before before I was going to school, not knowing that the bougiest thing that anybody can do that eating caviar <laughs> in the morning and giving it to their kids. With and butter. Like they were giving me caviar in the morning. You must have had a lot of money. But no. Well, be- between, between, you all the time. Between, <laughs> between caviar and saffron, you get the two most expensive items in the supermarket. Exactly. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's more expensive than gold. I know. <laughs> Kian Pernor has been our guest. Uh, we've been talking about the Iranian New Year or Persian New Year. And uh, we're talking about how bougie he is. Sorry <laughs> <laughs> right. about that, but it comes to the territory. <laughs> no problem. Uh, thanks so much for joining yeah, us and sharing you. some of your cultural history. 
You're the best, Keon. Thank, Thank you, you. so much for having me. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Great, guys. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Up next, we're going to talk with uh, Annie Elmore, chef here at the Hot Stove, about some beautiful carrot puff pastry tarts that she's been making for some of our guests. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen here in downtown Seattle, where Chef Annie Elmore runs the show, along with uh, Sean over here on the technical side. Chef Annie, you have been, we've walked in a couple of times this last week, I have, and seen this beautiful carrot tart that um, took me by surprise. Number one, a couple of things. One is that um, you making a carrot tart was a surprise to me. I was surprised. Why, too. why yeah. is that? I don't know. I don't know where you got the idea from. And I just, uh, I, I, I love was, carrots. You love carrots. I was very impressed. Uh, secondly, uh, it t- actually tasted good too. Wow, <laughs> that is the biggest compliment I've had for, ever yeah. heard from Tom the last ten years. So, uh, actually, is the key word. It's yeah. the only one you've ever gotten. <laughs> anyway, uh, it was. You, you know, it's not often that something that looks so pretty is actually. Awesome, awesomely delicious too. So, Terry, uh, this this tart is right up your alley. It's got a little puff paste. Uh, what's the, what's the filling? Uh, so on the bottom, I layer it with um, goat cheese that mixed with heavy cream mm-hmm. to thin it out a little bit, and then on top is a mint and pistachio pesto, and what's a little bit saba. And do you do any uh, of the carrot top in the t- in the pesto? Uh, no, I I. Did not, um, but what I did with the carrots that Pam loves was I mixed it with our rub with love veggie rub. Hello. And I roasted it to hype up the, the flavor a little so, bit. So, yes, I was going to say you, you mentioned everything but the carrots. So you take the carrots and you roast them? Yeah, so I roast it with the veggie rub um, that we uh, make here. So the veggie rub has got lots of fennel, mm-hmm. garlic, yep. uh, coriander. I think it it's really be. fragrant. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I that's my favorite rub, especially on vegetable, because I love fennel. And I thought it add a little bit nice um, texture and also flavor. I mean, goat cheese is kind of bland, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then the carrots is sweet, but there's n- not a lot of substantial flavor to it. Mm-hmm. So I thought the veggie rub is a great way to go. All right, so you peeled your carrot. You mm-hmm. use like a small carrot or a medium size? Yeah, I use baby carrot. So baby. that way you yeah. can keep it whole and you can lay it on the tart and make it look pretty. Uh huh. That's yeah. part of the charm of the visual. Is yeah, that, it's, it's the whole beautiful and symmetrical. Yeah. It's yeah. gorgeous. Okay, so now we've got the puff pastry. Now, my concern when you said you mix goat cheese with cream is that, and you put it on the puff pastry. Mm-hmm. It's going to uh, get soggy. That was my concern, is that it gets soggy before the puff pastry actually cooks. How do you get around that? Well, you don't mix a lot. Just a little bit where you can be able to spread it a little bit. Okay. Uh, you're not making it into like a fondue. Uh, you're just trying to help yourself from not tearing the puff pastry when you're trying to spread the goat cheese. So you're doing this on a raw puff pastry to yes. bake afterward? Yes. Oh, I see. I thought At the beginning, I thought the, ba- the puff pastry was baked, but no, it's not. No, it's not. Okay, get it. So that okay. way, whichever the rim that you have, it kind of rise up and make it look more... I guess so you, you keep the carrots off the rim so that the rim yeah. of the puff pastry can rise up around the exactly. carrots. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, Okay, so now we've got the puff pastry, mm-hmm. and you can use that. Uh, there's a brand in the grocery stores called Dufour, D-U-F-O-R, I think. O-U-R. O-U-R, Dufour. And it's a really nice product. O-R. Yeah. O- no, you. O-R. O-R. Yeah. Very nice product. It's in your freezer uh, freezer section at most grocery stores. Um, 
and then so you pull it out you let it you're not going to let it come up to room temperature you're just going to keep it chilled and then you put you spread on your custard of mm-hmm. goat cheese and let's just say if it's like a cup of goat cheese about i don't know two three, three tablespoons of cream, cream okay. or milk whatever and if you can't do dairy cow's milk you don't yeah. have to use the cream you just work the goat cheese until yeah. you kind of whip it yeah right? then you spread that on keep it about a what an inch from the edge of the puff pastry yeah i i kind of you know score the edges a little bit too to kind of create a little bit of a pattern okay but if you don't want to that's fine yeah and then uh the, so the carrots are then roasted mm-hmm. roast uh, it first and then cool it seasonings. down yep some Preferably seasoning tom douglas's rub with yeah or well, pizza yeah. spice is actually really good with that as yeah. well yeah that would be yeah. good yeah. that would work yeah uh so then uh so now our carrots are completely cooked right yes okay so now what so then I cool it down and then I lay it um, kind of alongside each other. Um, you know, you don't really have to make it look exactly the same. Uh, if there are bigger ones, cut it in half and kind of flip it back and forth. Ideally, if I would have a choice, I would buy the rainbow carrots. Kind of oh, make it that look would be much prettier for mm-hmm. spring. Yes. Um, but we weren't in spring yet and it was, you know, so baby orange is fine. Yeah. And then you just lay out. You're not cross a sheet. So I don't. The key is though what I, what makes it so pretty is that you're laying them out vertically. Yeah. Like if you're looking at a painting, it would be like horizontally. Yes. You're laying it out. Um, yeah. And the, in whole lengths. When you say mm-hmm. cut a carrot in half, you're talking about length. Lengthwise, wise, not, yes. Yeah. yeah. And and you know and of course not all carrots going to be the same length. You know. Or size. Or be, not even yeah. good. No. Yeah. So they are like different sizes. So you kind of mix match, you know, shorter ones, shorter ones mm-hmm. and long ones. And there, if there's a little bit of gap, that's fine because that's the beauty of it. It's an art, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you just go along from one end to the other end and um, that's it. And then I just baked it at 400 uh, convection oven that we have. So if you're at home, non-convection, probably 425. For um, 25 to 35 minutes, depending. It, the key is, right, making sure that puff is cooked. Yeah, the yeah. bottom is nice, uh, hard. Crispy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Crispy, yeah. Because sometimes the top can be uh, kind of deceiving. It could look already brown with the top. I mean, the bottom could be still Right, because raw. of the cheese wetness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the tricks to do is to put a little piece of parchment paper. Around it. On top of, yeah. your, of your tart. Yeah. So it doesn't keep coloring the, yeah. the sides of it, doesn't burn it. So another thing that I, I found out, I mean, I made this tart only a few times already. Um, but kind of a trick is that you need to lay the carrots right on top of the goat cheese. Because any goat cheese exposed, it will burn. Oh, yeah. Goat cheese is not meant to be baked like that. Yeah. yeah. So you want the carrots to completely lay on top of that. And then saba at the end, right before you serve it, and then with the pesto. Which so is, saba. by the way, saba is a great must vinegar, mm-hmm. which is kind of sweet. Yeah. So it's really delicious to put that at the, I end, know. At the end of that top. Yeah. S-A-B-A. S-A-B-A. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple of different brands out there, and they're usually all sweet. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it's an unaged balsamic, or an right. unoaked yeah. balsamic. It's so yeah. delicious. Yeah. Okay, and then you could sprinkle little uh, Johnny Jump Ups over this, even in springtime, or you're starting to get little flowers would be pretty on, oh, on pretty. this. Oh, yeah. Chive blossoms. Chive. And or, like, if you can find carrot uh, flowers, it would be really yeah. pretty on top of that as well. And if you get the rainbow carrots, and now the carrot flowers is kind of yellow and whitish, I think. 
it would look great on it. Mm. Well, cool. it's it's been fun to walk in and see this tart because it's uh, just a little bit unusual. Where'd you get the idea? Did you steal it out of the New York Times? <laughs> I actually don't have a New York Times subscription. I'm that cheap. Um, I think we're going to correct she lis- that. She listens to you, Tom. She just listens for you. <laughs> What's in the time today? <laughs> it's called a sub-subscription. <laughs> well, if you ever want to come to one of Annie's classes, she's one of the instructors here, and she's, uh, she's a pistol. They're all sold out. Oh, they're all sold out. She's a pistol, so be careful. <laughs> bring, some, uh, bring some ear uh, earplugs ear because she, her language is a bit salty. You always need to have that seasoned. Coming up, planning your spring dinner party. Uh, Annie might even join us for one or two of these segments. uh, Customizing your carrot cake. All the deliciousness that's happening right now as spring blossoms in your your yard. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. On the radio. We are back oh, in the oh. hot stove kitchen here at the downtown Seattle. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Thanks for hanging with us over that long break. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, planning a spring dinner menu. Uh, as uh, Jackie, my wife, and uh, Pamela have been talking about, it's so nice to actually think that we can have a dinner party again with I friends know. and family. Over. That's exciting. I mean, we've always had them. We just wore masks. You know, it's not a big deal. But I but, think it's it's cool to think about it and then plan it, and in a you know two three weeks from now have the actual outdoor thinking of a nice sunny day. Yeah, you know, sixty five degrees in Seattle and being in the backyard and having a nice little dinner. Oh man, I am looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. And uh, other than the war in Ukraine, I mean that's kind of tempering some of my uh, yeah the joy yeah. Uh, right now. But uh, the idea of getting out there and uh, I, I will tell you what's joyful about. Spring is when I we get letters like this at the show. Uh, you know, we did a couple of uh, benefits for Ukraine, and you know, without us cooking, there's no benefit. That's but right. without you buying tickets and donating and all that kind of stuff, there's no benefit. It takes right. two to tango, right? So, right. Um, we had many, many folks come uh, during our benefit. And this, uh, I just wanted to read a quick note before we get into our spring menu. And Chef, while, while I'm reading this, you can be thinking, uh, we have a five course meal that we need here. We have two segments to do it in. Soup, app, fish, meat, and dessert. I'm in. Okay, you're in? All right. I'm in. Miriam Ng Manzon sent us a note and a check for $25. And uh, we forget sometimes. It wasn't that long ago, Pamela, when we had... Community loaves. Community loaves on the show to talk about people who get together and make bread in their own kitchens and then for the food banks and for... Of, I mean... It's one thing to get a loaf of bread when you're hungry. It's another one to get a loaf of homemade bread that has all the love and charm in it uh, that can send your mind racing with possibilities. And yeah, so, you can taste the, the love and effort that goes into a homemade loaf, that's for sure. Yeah, Miriam said that she heard about Community Loaves on our radio show and that she joined her local chapter up in Bellingham and is, has been doing it ever since. Bravo. Sent us a check, and Miriam... Hats off to you. I want everyone to talk to their radio right now and say, Go, Miriam. Go, Miriam. Go, Miriam. Bread on forever. So thank you for your note and for your check. Okay, Chef, let's make spring dinner. And I'm going to send you the soup. you got three courses here, so you better have some creativity going on. Tell us about your garden. My garden. So in the the garden yesterday, uh, bronze fennel is coming out. 
I have a lemon balm, beautiful lemon balm coming out. So it's young and tender right now. Because lemon balm is not exactly an easy one to cook with, but it's a great thing to take as an herb to infuse, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have a, a broth from that. You could make a nice little cocktail, non-alcoholic cocktail, or for appetizer or dessert. It's a great part of the mint family so, and lemon, basically. So, you know, it's a nice combination. What else do we have? I have uh, carrots, the last carrots I pulled out of the ground, and those are super, super sweet. You know, we were just talking with Annie Helmore about um, uh, carrots. You know, she has used baby carrots, but those are beautiful, mature carrots. All right, make a soup. Make a soup for me. That would be the carrot soup. I would do a carrot soup, and I would do um, a roasted, a toasted uh, cardamom, uh, grated ginger, and I would do a soup with that, with the carrots. So saute the carrots in olive oil, cut them in pieces, don't peel them, just wash them. Cut them in pieces, saute it into olive oil, uh, sliced onion added to that, grated ginger, uh, sliced ginger added to that, and then uh, toasted cardamom added to that. Little vegetable stock uh, or water, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Reduce that down gently, cook the carrots tender, everything tender, and then put everything through the uh, Vitamix or the, the food processor. Mm-hmm. Strain it if needs to be. A blender. Yeah, through a blender and then strain it because of the cardamom and all that stuff. Put it through the blenders or the food, the food processor so you get beautiful extraction of that seed. And then finished with grated orange, grated zest. So wait, wait. So now I've got a soup puree. You got a soup puree. And it's in the bowl. And now I'm going to do what with it? So first you're going to take some young goat cheese, you know, uh, spring goat cheese, and then mix it with a lot of chives. Make a nice little kernel in the middle of your bowl. Put some grated uh, zest uh, oranges right on top of that. And then put the soup right around it. Hot. Hot. Yeah. And then you'll have the, so the cheese going to start melting. Yeah. And then as you eat, you'll have that creaminess going through your carrot soup. That's how you get rid of your winter carrots. <laughs> Those are, they're super, deli- I mean, they're beautiful right now. They're full of flavor. So are the beets, by the way, the last beets of the year. Yeah. Absolutely outstanding. Good, beautiful earthiness, great amount of sugar. So that's another thing you could do is throw the beet in the oven while you're cooking your soup, roast your beets, and then do a nice beets and Toasted walnut, and I know we always talk about walnuts you're not a big fan of, but toasted walnuts. Yeah. Really I made nice. a walnut butter stuffed pear, roasted pear, uh, yesterday, so who knows? Yeah. That's for my mom and Tom event uh, that's happening here on May what? Mother's Day. Mother's Day, May 8th, I think it is. I'm not exactly sure. So but. roasted beet salad warm with grilled sardines on top. Spring, no, I'm not spring. doing that. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm going to reprise my artichokes because so with your carrot <laughs> soup, I'm going to make just a little Lillet cocktail, just a little spring cocktail. And I love that kind of thing, like a, either a little um, a Bianco vermouth, you know, just sure. a little lighter style vermouth or Lillet or something of that nature uh, with the fried artichokes and the aioli. So remember, you're just taking the little baby artichokes, you're just trimming out the roughest outer edges, and then you're quartering or, or sixthing them. And then you're going to dredge them in semolina, and you're just going to deep fry them in vegetable mm. oil and have little crispy artichokes to go with your, your Bianco, your vermouth. What a vermouth. great way to start the meal. Yeah, and then your, then your carrot soup. When we come back, it's time for the appetizer, the fish, the meat, and the dessert of our spring spectacular right here on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM.
We are back in the hot stove. Uh, Chef Terry and Annie are discussing a beet and sardine salad, which we're going to drop from our spring menu. It's not appropriate. Chef, okay, now we have uh, 10 minutes to do four more courses. Who says so Washington and says spring says asparagus? Grilled asparagus, beautiful. I'm just going to turn on the barbecue because you're going to use it later in the meal probably. So okay, yeah. mm. it's a nice warm spring day. So I'm turning on the barbecue. I'm going to grill the asparagus, make a nice little lemon hollandaise. Simple, very, very simple. Lemon hollandaise and um, just zest of lemon and don't touch a thing. It's actually beautiful the way it is. Don't, don't mess that up. It's, keep it simple. Very light, nice appetizer. Pam is like, oh, you guys going to make it heavy? I'm like, no. I mean, what uh, carrot soup is light? Yesterday I was doing the filming for my Mom and Tom event, and I bought some stuff that I would never buy this month. I would wait normally till April. Right, right. But I had to get the pictures. It was a bunch of asparagus with some what I call church ham, that kind of country ham, little bits of. Uh, anyway, it was it was quite delicious. Okay, so I'm on fish now, yeah. right? And you yeah. said you did start the charcoal grill, correct? If I'm not mistaken, I did. So um, I'm just going to take a, a simple uh, piece of fish. If you want to go fancy, obviously salmon is out there. Right. If you want simple. Uh, Light this time of year is halibut is out there, so sure. I, it's, I, it's hard for me sometimes because halibut doesn't have enough fish for me. It's a little lean for me, but people love it, so I'm going to make it. And my way of making halibut a little bit more moist is to make maybe a real olive oily breadcrumb or something. Lots of butter, lots of olive oil. Put it in, and we're just going to put the fish on the charcoal grill. And I'm not looking to give it heavy marks or heavy smoke. Sure, I'm just picking up wisp of the charcoal mm-hmm. and then i'm just going to put the lid on and bake it in my charcoal grill absolutely right? and then yeah, yeah. Uh, now i've got my fish with a little crunchy uh, breadcrumb topping on top and i've already used aioli in my carciofi appetizer right. so a sauce for this might be just a little bur blanc yeah just you know take a a, a nice you could do a warm a nice vinaigrette. Herbal. Why don't you do a warm, a warm vinaigrette? vinaigrette? Sounds good. Because I'm doing hollandaise. There's already butter. We don't yeah. want to keep Pam happy. She's too heavy. Yeah, doesn't so want I too like heavy. That. A, little, uh, a little, a little vinaigrette. vinaigrette. Yeah. How do you say warm. it? Warm vinaigrette. A vinaigrette. Voilà. Yes. Yeah. You can. I. I'm. Wait a minute. Warm vinaigrette. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah, I don't do that. Yeah. No, it's good. It's it's a nice way to balance the acids and. Uh, a little bit of fat, obviously, because it's a vinaigrette. So, All right, anyway, what are we having for our entree? Because my, for entree my fish, or for dessert? No, for the meat. You're no, on we the do meat, a meat now. too. Okay, uh, meat. Well, I just did a very small piece of fish because Pam wanted the meat to go light. Meat. I'm going to do one lamb chop. Oh, that's just per one. person. Sad. I can't do it. Just one. I can't stop it. One. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? I'm going to make a rack of lamb with four of us. I'm going to only have a half a rack of lamb. Okay, Pam four can chops. have the one. There's eight chops, right? <laughs> There's eight chops. Well, Pam can have the one. No, no. I'm doing half of a rack of lamb. Oh, you're doing a half. There's four chops. Okay. <laughs> so there is no choice in the matter. <laughs> that's so sad. If you serve only one chop per person instead of the whole it. rack, what are you going to do to it? So anyway, I'm going to. Since the barbecue is still on, I am definitely going to. Cut them off, so I'm going to take the rack, cut the chops off, and mas- marinate them in a little bit of olive tapenade, and then beautiful, I have tons of chives in the garden, so I'm going to use chives, fresh thyme blossom, and I'm going to macerate those uh, lamb chops at the beginning of all prep. So it macerates for about a couple of hours on the counter, then I'm going to clean them off and then throw them on the grill, cook them on the grill that way, and then take that sauce, that, that marinade, put it in a pan, Cook it very slowly for about five minutes. Add some fresh zest, again, citrus, because that's what goes in there. 
I was talking about lemon balm earlier. You could put a few leaves of lemon balm in there to flavor that uh, tapenade. And then that w- I would use that. And then f- young spring potatoes. I, mean, I love a beautiful yeah. pan of sauteed young potatoes because they got that sweetness. That They're just so fun to have. I mean, uh-huh. sometimes potatoes are a little bit boring. It can get boring. But in spring, I love a good pan of roasted potatoes. Just with potato. butter? Just butter and potato. So let's go back to Cut. your lamb for one second. Yeah. Because I struggle with this. You've pre-cut your lamb. So uh, if you're taking one rack, you know, I can see on a double chop, but on a single chop, how do you get enough brown on your lamb without overcooking the lamb chop? You have to have a cooking, I mean a cooking yeah. fire. you got to have a you, super, It has to be as hot, hot and fire. as close to the coal as you yeah. can get. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way to do it is yeah. to have a super, super hot uh, barbecue. And I would actually... Make it often. What I do is I move the coal in the baskets. I move it to the side. I try to reach 500, 550 on the barbecue, and then I open the lid, drop the chop, close the lid, leave it alone, and I only do it on one side. Oh, so you're not really trying to get it. You I'm, got the lid on. You're not going to get the sear. No, no. At, at the beginning, I keep the lid on because I want right off the, the beginning. I want that heat to hit the chops. Then I remove the lid. The flame, the, the, the flame on the, on the coal will be existing, but not on the chop. So you're not burning the chop. Yeah, see, you and I go about this very differently because know. for me, I want that intense heat on my chop. I would leave the lid off completely. I would build my fire all the way to one side of my rear. Mm-hmm. I only have four chops. Right. Uh, I would build my fire to the one side, and I would try and get it so that my fire is within a couple of inches of my grill grate, which is hard to do in a Weber. Yeah, it's very hard. You have to use one of the baskets that you can buy for yeah. And then I put my chop on and try not to put a lot of olive oil on it or something because that's going to flame up and get black and sooty. Right. But I put my chop on and I, I let the flames come up and lick that baby. Which is why I'm not doing that because I know I have, it's just not your nature. I have but marinated already those chops I know, into the olives. I know, the but olives. now you're going to have poached lamb chops on no, the grill. No, no, you're not going to have them poached. Come on, you have to have some I heat, mark some them intensity. They, believe me, there is mark of green I on my chop. I don't think so. I, I do. So. I'm just challenging that one You a need bit. to have it super hot and move it away and just not having the flame. That's all. Potatoes, lamb chops, and then, of course, on the side, uh, a good... Hmm. We've already had asparagus. And yeah, we've had asparagus. We've had carrots. We've had... Probably good. Yeah. A good salad. Right, for dessert. Be, what comes to mind is a good salad from the garden. Fresh, tender spring salad. Yeah, after the chop. That sounds very, good. Very, very yeah. simple. Yeah. Just, just go away. Olive oil, salt, pepper. Done. Maybe some fresh churro in juice. there. Lemon juice. Yeah. My favorite herb. And, uh, <laughs> and then we toss that together on the plate just to have the green tender. Yeah, and I love the, the punch of some herbs in there. Yeah. So to me, I never personally, and when I was chef at my joints, never bought California strawberries. No. Unless it was right about this time of year. And honestly, I don't even know if it's appropriate anymore because it used to be you could get a decent first flush crop of spring California right. sh- strawberries rather than the nonsense that they grow all year, la- all sure. year long, right? It's kind of white-centered. Right. Barely pink on the outside, strawberries. So, uh, but between now and the beginning of the Washington crop, which isn't until say June one to June fifteen, if you want a fresh fruit like that, I mean, I would do rhubarb, but I'm not the biggest rhubarb fan. So, but See, I think that first I think- flush of California strawberries can can be good. You just have to be go to a produce stand that where the produce monger will actually let you take a taste. Right. Right. I think that's key. If not, you're better off using. 
cold storage uh, pears and cold storage apples Correct. and things that are local than buying we'll have more cardboard flavor. strawberries from the grocery store at, at way too much money. But I would focus on the rhubarb. I know that's, you. That's would, what I was going to do I if, if I was doing dessert. Yeah. But, so I'm just going to make a little fresh strawberry tart, a little pot brise, sure. a pre-bake or a blind bake shell, just a little vanilla custard yep. pastry cream, and then beautiful little mm. fresh strawberries on top. As I a tell you, when, they, when everything is perfect on that, it's the most gorgeous dessert in the world. I mean, just that simplicity and whatever yeah. fruit is good. You can even do that very same thing and do roasted pears on top. I yeah. mean, it's like it works with, with anything. All right, that's our spring supper. It's been so delicious. Mm. Can't wait to be invited to my own spring meal. <laughs> <laughs> Food and Wine Magazine uh, has this t- creative twist on carrot cake. Boy, carrots are front and center. I think it's a carrot episode. And we're going to talk about it when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the hot stove kitchen, having a good old time with carrots today. It's almost like the hot stove carrot show. I think it's a carrot show. I think it's a carrot show. I'm Tom Douglas. And, and I'm Terry Rotiro. What's up, Doc? The chef in the chapeau. Mel Blanc right next to me. <laughs> uh, Pamela uh, likes every week to add at least one thing that's from her hippie past. Uh, well, she's really not that much in the past, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, as our producer, she gets free reign on adding whatever she wants. So, Pam, why this segment? Why today? What, is, what struck you about uh, our next carrot adventure? Uh, spring is in the air. Uh, carrots are so, so, so visually and texturally appealing. Uh, and then I came across this Food & Wine magazine recipe for an inspired version of carrot cake. They call it spiced carrot cake with brown butter frosting. Take, mm. And taking it to a new level because I am used to a traditional preparation. Which is what? Uh, just grated carrots. Just, just grated carrots, a lot of oil, and a cream cheese frosting. Brown mm-hmm. sugar. I mean, what else a is lot, in your cake? Yeah. Like pine, a lot of carrot cakes have pineapple chunks in them. Oh, no way. Like a can of pineapple. Ick. Yeah. No pineapple. Really? Yeah. I have never heard of that. Yes, yes. I have seen that Oof. recipe and, and abhor it. <laughs> okay. They but did your, but, your uh, more traditional, your, your historic version... Does it have any spices in it? Does it have ginger? Only the tiniest amount of cinnamon, okay. which is why this one, this recipe calls for a warming blend of cardamom, ginger, cinnamon, and nutmeg. And I'm like, that is yeah. the holy quadruple. <laughs> <laughs> Again, <Right there. laughs> make sure you use everything to the measurement that it is it can, asking it for. It can get overwhelming, Because right? you can be so overwhelming. Yeah. You're having four of the strongest spices on the planet. So you got to make sure that you don't overdo it because you could kill your carrot cake and have no carrot flavor left in the end. It could get almost bitter. Well, no, it would be more like overpowering. Kind of, I don't know, you would get bitter, yes, but more importantly, you wouldn't have any carrot flavor, which is... You want the ca- yeah, well, the I mean, carrot to shine I, through. I would guess that if you're doing a carrot cake, you don't want to test beets. You want to test carrots. Mm. You don't want to test cinnamon. You want to test carrot with some cinnamon. Mm. And the other element mm-hmm. that uh, is surprising is the brown butter ghee. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I, that's I exciting. D- that's I different. don't um, use ghee. Don't know, but 
this is a double duty in the cake batter as well as contributing a nutty flavor to the cream cheese frosting. Well, there's only one way to get the nutty flavor into the frosting, I think. So ghee is G-H-E-E, right? It's a, yeah. What's the, uh, often see in Indian cuisine. And it's basically clarified butter. It's what it is. But what they're talking about, at least when I read the recipe, is they take the clarified butter and use it in the cake. Right. And they take the whey, which is when you clarify the butter, you end up with the milk solids. Let that brown, and that becomes almost like a crumble. Yeah. And that goes into the cream cheese frosting. Mm. So, um, brown butter in pastry or in, in, um, in topping is definitely, or in a cake, is definitely a good addition. Mm-hmm. You know, when I make madeleine, I always make brown butter madeleine. I tell you, it makes a difference. Huge difference. Huge difference. Yeah. My daughter, your goddaughter, Pamela, uh, makes a brown butter Rice Krispie treat. That, <laughs> that is, is brilliant. She is well known for it. She just mixes brown butter with the marshmallow. And Ooh. Uh, they're, uh, for being trashy good, and you know that trashy is one of my favorite uh, sure. things, uh, they are trashy good. Yeah, so that sounds sadly, because I can't eat them. They're so fat. <laughs> Definitely Not that I'm rich. a Mr. It's Diet, sugar. but... It's sugar and butter together. Yeah, lots of butter, <laughs> lots of sugar. Well, so, what is that in, the, in Grandma Dot's spaghetti? Is that brown that's butter? black butter. So when you're, when you're browning butter, you just take whole butter. If you, if you want them to stay together, I guess if you want them to be separate, then you have to strain out the milk solids. But uh, when you clarify butter, you know, the, the chef, correct me if I'm wrong... The fat comes to the top. Correct. Typically. And the way I mean, goes the milk, to the bottom. The milk boils to the top. Right. So you have, to, you have to skim all the kind of milk that boils to the top. Correct. And some of the solids drop to the bottom. Correct. And the fat is right there. You can just see it. It's all right. yellow and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So when you take that, if you want to maintain the whole thing like you do with brown butter or get all the way Just to keep black, cooking it. Just keep cooking. Keep cooking until it's totally brown. And it's here's good. the thing. Oh, go ahead. What I was going to say is, you know when you're sauteing anything and you put butter in the pan? Most people are afraid when it starts to get blonde, they start, oh, my God, I got to go. Wait, calm down. Just let it melt. Wait till it gets to that, not burned, but darker brown. Hazelnut. Think about a hazelnut with a skin on it. Golden brown. You want it to be past golden brown. You want it to be slightly brown brown. And then that's when your your butter is called burnoisette. That's when you get that gorgeous flavor from the butter and the stage where... Once you put something in that pan, it does not keep going, so it's not going to burn. Yeah, and it's also, it's, you recognize now that it's hot enough to do sautéing in. Correct. Sometimes when it's just white foamy, it's not hot enough to actually, if you put something in there at that point, you're just going to boil it. Yeah. Because the moisture hasn't, uh, hasn't cooked off of the you butter. You can't sauté in white butter. That doesn't exist. I mean, that's just, that's not called sauté. Yeah, you're almost, you're literally almost poaching because the... You're Back to the brown butter, it's a very good seasoning for many different things, for cooking, but also for flavoring. It's a beautiful product. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it says you need clarified butter in anything in pastries, you should definitely go the next step up, which is kind of the same idea as roasting versus boiling. You go to the next step up and make brown butter instead of clarified butter, then you have added flavor. Will every butter achieve that result as the... Uh, big brand, yeah. American butters do yeah, it as well buy- as the beautiful Irish and English butters. Do they absolutely? Brown yeah, if you city? buy ghee, G H E E, it's already clarified, so it's just the fat. The whey has already been siphoned off you, of it. To get a good brown butter in a flavoring idea, keep the the whey the in whole there. butter. Keep yeah. the whole butter. Yeah. 
Don't separate the, the fat from the whey. Just keep the whole thing and keep cooking it on the fire. Watch it. When it gets to that brown color, that's when you're there. You remove it from the fire. You put it in a different container so it stops cooking, and it's ready, and it smells beautiful. Yeah. Now, the black butter that I use uh, for Grandma Dot's <laughs> Greek spaghetti down at Lola, you literally, yeah, you literally just have to almost walk away. I mean, you never walk away from something that hot. But you, it literally, you go to brown, you go to what looks like black, and then you let it go further until it's really burnt butter. It's that's, a traditional that's a part of the flavor profile of yeah, that dish. Yeah, it's a traditional uh, butter that's used on uh, sole au beurre noir. So a sole, you know the fish, flatfish? Sole au beurre noir is a traditional dish in French with capers, usually with capers and a dash of white vinegar or lemon, and that's put right over the fish after it's cooked. So you cook your sole. So that's beurre noir, which beurre is noir. black yes. rather than brown. Beurre noisette. Yeah. Correct. You go all the way, and then that's a complete. That's a different flavor. Uh, it's probably a lost tradition in most places. You know, Bernoisette is a little bit nicer and not quite burnt, so probably better for it's you. It's easier to clean the pan afterwards. It's easier to, <laughs> definitely, definitely easier to clean the pan. But what a nice way to finish sole and just give it yeah. that other depth. It's just literally a different flavor. The only, closest thing I can relate it to is when you're cooking with a wok, a hot wok, and you it gets hot. And you think it's hot, and then you put some oil in it, and the oil just kind of sits there. It's not hot enough. Right. And then you let it go, right? And then the oil starts to smoke, and now you're starting to get to the spot you want to be. And just let it get to a real smoke, because that's part of that burnt oil flavor. And now it's not burnt as in sooty, but that really hot oil flavor is called the breath right. of the wok, right? And it's part of the flavor profile of that hot sear that you get in Chinese restaurants, where they have 100,000... Uh, BTU burner that is just smoking hot, red hot iron wok. Uh, and that's just part of the flavor. And same with black butter compared to, say, white butter or brown butter. And to go back to the carrot cake, if yeah. I was making a carrot cake, I would take shredded carrot and throw them in that wok just for Ooh. 30 seconds and then add that to my batter because that would bring a little crunchiness and a little flavor Brilliant. that you don't already have. If you like that flavor. Yeah, if you if like, you like that kind of Smoky, yeah, hot oil flavor. But it would, so add add a nice, version. it would add a nice little interesting flavor. What would I do? You know, I'm all about, I, I hate one of those big carrot cakes that's really thick and really wide, and you end up with so little crust per carrot cake. <laughs> so I would make mine in little tiny squares. They make those silicon pans or, or carrot muffins or something where I can get more brown, more crust per inch of my cake. And that, to me, would help me get to a place where a carrot cake is actually enjoyable. Because there's another way to get to there's another way to get to that is to use a small uh, a sheet pan only an inch and a half, two inches thick. Put the batter in there, and instead of trying to do you know four inches of batter in the pan, you do one inch. Your carrot cake is going to rise slightly, crust. and now you'll have crust everywhere. Crust is everything. Crust is king, of course. right? Yeah. Of course. Well, you say I, of course, but you go to so many restaurants where they have carrot cake. Or, there's no yeah, yeah, crust. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Crust yeah. is where the flavor. I mean, who doesn't enjoy crust? It's well, the that best Piedmontese part. cake, the hazelnut that came cake, out good, didn't it? But that was in the the small little yeah. rounds, and it had just crust for days. Right, and that was about fifty percent nuts in that particular yeah. cake that we yeah, did and on it had. Yeah, had beautiful texture. Yeah, love that cake and that little chocolate. What was the name of the the Sleepy. hazelnut chocolate? 
The chocolate producer was sleety. I didn't look at the price when I bought it. Those little jars were $28 Holy a piece. Oh, my mama. And, and you remember that I was paying that night. You remember that? that part? Not only was I cooking, but I was paying for our dear friends. Yeah, but that was delicious. That was delicious. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I don't even know how to describe our next segment. If you're waiting for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, (laughs) please just stand by. And Pamela, when we come back, will explain what we're going to do. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the kitchen at the Hot Stove Society, 4th of Virginia, downtown Seattle. Hotel Andre. Hi, chef in the chapeau. Hello, Mr. Douglas. This is Terry Rotiro, and very happy to see this new segment Pamela came up with. Yes, uh, it's called Getting Personal with Tom, Terry, Annie, and Diane. We're joined by Annie Elmorsh, uh, one of the chefs and presenters here at the Hot Stove Society, and Diane Cruz, who kind of runs sales and marketing here at the Hot Stove, along with Pamela. So... Pam, what did you have in mind here since uh, everyone listening has been waiting for Tasty Trivia and you have now <laughs> decided? I've decided I want to get to know you all better and I want our listeners to know more about the people that go into making this all happen. Okay. So I have, we're doing a speed interview, questions that are tailored to each of you, and I want fast, short answers. And then who wins a prize? Does anyone win a prize? Yes, the woman who made those walnut cookies for us. Irina. I, Irina Mikalchek. Okay. And we are going to mail her a very sweet surprise. Okay. As a thank nice. you. Nice. Right. We're starting. I mean, she can put in her cookies. Exactly. <laughs> and Terry, we're starting with you. Go ahead. Short and fast. Which region in France has your favorite food? Uh, south of France, Provence. Where does his, where does his mother live? No. And where does your mother live? <laughs> my, mother live no, I was <laughs> my mother lives in a small town called Saint-Hilaire-de-Loulet, which is a town of about 2,000 people. Number two, is there a popular French dish you do not enjoy? Uh, then I do not enjoy. Yeah, there are a few. Um, I would say tripes is probably my least favorite. Good answer. What is the most complicated French dish to prepare? They all are complicated. Um, okay, that's your, <laughs> geez, it's supposed to be short and sweet. I am. That's that's my answer. No. All right. They're all complicated. I mean, short, complicated. Uh, how about a, a bœuf bourguignon, compared, contrary to what most people think? Excellent. What is your favorite French wine region and why? Burgundy, because they have the best white and red in the world. Excellent. And what are the most consumed vegetables in France? All of them. I mean, carrots, <laughs> onions, celery. I, the mo- I don't know. Tom, What's the most consumed vegetable? <laughs> Which one is the most consumed? I don't know. Thank you for the insight to your personality. You're welcome. Charming. Now we're going to the Charming. team of Annie and Diane, who are both going to answer. They're our Cambodian and Filipino Annie, co-workers. Don't mess it up. I got the right answers. <laughs> um. Annie, you'll start the round, and then Diane, chime in right after. What was your favorite food growing up? Congee. Fried chicken, but the skin only. (laughs) Which do you like more, sweet or savory food? Savory. Sweet. I don't have a sweet tooth. There's a box of Reese's on her desk. (laughs) (laughs) What food do you want to learn how to make? Cajun food. Cajun? Yes. Diane? Um, there's this Filipino dish that we usually make 
or buy takeout because it's hard to make, but it's called kare kare, and it, it's like an oxtail stew with peanut sauce. Ooh, yeah. Let's so kare 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 is pe- the word for peanut. Oh, okay. <laughs> what kind of Filipino are you? Uh, next one. What is your favorite herb or spice? Mint. Oh, Diane? Um, does Tom's seafood rub count? <laughs> no. That's not, a, so that's that's not like in the a herb. curry chive. The seafood rub is like a curry chive. So that's a spice. And finally, what food do you prepare when friends come to your house? Funny enough, my friends really like Italian food, so yeah. that's my go-to. And you're great at it. And you, but don't you make a lot of Hungarian food because your your husband when, is Hungarian? Well, when my mother-in-law in town, yes, Hungarian food. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> What's and your favorite she, Hungarian dish? I don't know the name, but it's like pork butt braised with sauerkraut, uh, lots of paprika, and caraway seeds, and then you finish it with a little bit of sour cream. So like paprikash type thing? Yeah, but it's it's with pork butt, and you don't sear anything. You just throw the whole thing together, and then you braise it. Really? Yeah, and then the sauerkraut really helps to cut the fat right. uh, off the um, pork butt. Uh-huh. Oh, so delicious. Really? Yeah. Wow. All right, Diane, yeah. what do you make for your friends? I make this Korean dish called topoki, which is spicy rice cakes, but I don't put too much spicy because I can't handle that much. <laughs> so is it just is it like sticky rice cakes or is it, uh, is it, well, what's in the rice cake itself? Rice. Fish cake, rice cake. Um, green onions. Green onions, yeah. Uh-huh. And like an anchovy broth. Beautiful. Ooh, I like that. All right, Tom. Okay. What food do you want to learn how to make? Well, I've been so influenced by Vietnamese food uh, with the fresh herbs and all of that over the, all the years that I've been cooking that uh, I don't know much about Korean food, and I know nothing about Cambodian food, and I know nothing about Filipino food. So I'd like to explore more of Southeast Asia. All right, let's do that. What was your worst kitchen disaster? <laughs> I've had so many. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. Uh, we were just talking the other night at our catering about, I was out at a catering at an office building, and all, the catering team forgot to pack any burners. Ooh. And so I had to cook on the hot plate from a coffee pot. Oh, no. And that, like, uh, that sort of drips through the, into the pot, and then the plate stays hot on the bottom. Yeah. So oh, I seared my it. salmon on the hot plate of the pot. Oh, my God. Is that real? That's real, yeah. Oh, my God. Hey, you do chunks. what you got to do. That's true. Um, do you cook more with butter or olive oil? Boy, because they just present themselves so differently. I, I would say butter, butter probably. But I, uh, the thing that uh, people don't do, which I think is they should explore, is deep frying with olive oil. Mm-hmm. Because so often when you deep fry, it tastes like the fryer, right? It, just, right. It, has a, it has nothing to go on. But olive oil maintains an integrity that adds a beautiful flavor when you deep fry with it. What is your favorite cut of beef? Short and sweet? I like skirt steak. Woo! Big yeah. surprise. They call it like a hanger or a skirt. They call it the chef's cut sometimes because it used to be a throwaway. Or I always just kind of get thrown into ground beef or something, but it is so flavorful and has nice texture and uh, it cooks fast. And, Excellent. Yeah. Mm, and finally, it. what is the next country you want to visit to learn about their cuisine? So many. Um, the Philippines. W- well, <laughs> certainly the Philippines, but 
I love kind of the mix that's happening in Australia with all the Indonesian, Singapore. Oh, yeah. I was there. I, I was there. That. It is really kind of, cool. That kind of mixture, because I've always cooked that mixture with kind of my Caucasian background. And that mixture of Asian and Australian oh, kind of, yeah. I think that's a really fun area. They definitely melting pot down there yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think There's it's a woman I- named Donna Hay who wrote a bunch of books about yeah. that kind of melting pot, and I'm always fascinated by it. Well, thank you, team. This was the getting to know the stars cool. of Hot Stove Radio. Of course, you forgot. Yeah. you forgot Mr. Sean over there. Oh, we'll we'll do we'll him get next. Sean next. Okay. That segment was brought to you by Rub With Love, a family of spice blends, tangy sauces, and a perfect mustard. Keep them in your pantry to dress up any meal. Uh, you can be, be sure to love them because I made them. Uh, you <laughs> can buy them at uh, any local grocery store, including Thriftway stores on Vashon Island, in West Seattle, Ballinger, plus more. And our friends in Portland, you'll find us at Zupan's, New Seasons, Market of Choice, and Gardener's Meats. Of course, you can find them all over the place, but uh, look for them at Tom Douglas online if you want the complete lineup of products. There's 19 different rubs and all. Our prize winner today, Pam, is Irina Mikalchek, the beautiful Ukrainian baker. Nice job. If you want to be part of our show, you can join our community on YouTube. Get the link on our Tom Douglas website. You're listening to us on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. The show's produced by Pam Hinckley, uh, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend.